Welcome to Empty Nesters, a podcast designed to inspire, motivate, and offer valuable advice to empty nesters. I'm Felicia Madison, comedian. I'm Nancy Tepper, life coach. Today we speak with Sari Cooper, director of the Center for Love and Sex and certified sex therapist about sex. Welcome, Sari. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. So we're we're curious. So what was it about your life or your upbringing or you that made you so comfortable talking about sex that you decided to go into a whole practice with that? I'm like totally embarrassed to talk about it. Same. <laughs> so, you know, I started as a dancer. I was a, I came to New York to become a modern dancer. I went to the Juilliard School. I danced professionally downtown. I choreographed. And in the dance world, sex is like... Like, everyone talks about sex. It's just sort of very open. You're with people and their bodies all day long. And then when I chose to go into the therapy field, I was, like, really fascinated by couples therapy. But wouldn't you know it that in social work school and in my post-grad school, you know, no one talked about sex. And here you're working with couples and you're supposed to wait until they bring the topic up. And frankly, as all doctors know, uh, if you don't bring the topic up, no one will talk about it because it's kind of still a taboo subject and people are so uncomfortable with it. So I just started asking my couples as part of my routine assessment, like, how's your sex life? And boy, did I get an earful. (laughs) And some of it, like for people who had real problems in the bedroom, I didn't have enough training to sort of distinguish between psychological issues and personal like sort of relationship issues and actual biological problems. So then I went back to most, you know, more postgraduate training and became ASAC certified. So it, you know, and so I think because uh, being a dancer, you have to be embodied to be a really good dancer. A lot of people have problems being embodied for a variety of reasons. So that's sort of the short story. So do you think people weren't talking about sex because they were uncomfortable about it? And then do you think that was the cause of their problem or the result of their problem? That's a very good question because a lot of couples therapists, the belief at the time was um, that if you resolve couples' issues, emotional, like fighting, arguments, power conflict, that their sex life will just naturally get better. But in fact, that's not true. And actually, a lot of couples I see are like the best of friends. They're soulmates. They, the, a normal call I get or email I get is my partner and I are like love each other. We spend all our time together. We have great sense of humor. We have the same values, but we have one little problem. We don't have sex. Right. And so that belief system is is unfounded. And so your question really is, I think it's a, it, there are deeper questions here. Right, right. Yeah. So we're here talking about the empty nesters. Yeah. And I think in some cases when the kids leave the house, it's like party time. And I think in some cases you're looking at your partner for all these years and you're thinking, what's next? What do you think are the biggest issues related to intimacy for most empty nesters? I, I, I actually think along with what's next, the questions are who are you? And how did you end up in my bed? (laughs) You know? And then the other question, which is, I think, the kind of um, yin-yang to that is, who am I? Right. What have I become? Do I recognize myself? Do I find myself interesting? Um, Those questions follow. So I think that... uh, the, The couples that are, I think, are most... I hate to use the word successful, but 
um, after the kids leave home are the ones who've been kind of feeding their relationship all through the years. And so the people who I, you know, the couples I see before that stage of development um, as a couple, I always say it's like you've got to want to be with each other at the end of the day. Like right. this is just a, you know, 20-year commitment or, you know, ar around thereabouts. And then you've got to, you know, keep feeding this relationship. A relationship is like an organism. I always tell people it's like a plant. And you've got to keep feeding that plant. Otherwise, it will just wilt. And when you say feeding the plant or the, or the relationship, what, what exact, can you give us some specific tips on how to, how to do that over the marriage? Right. So you want to change it up. You want to explore um, other realms around intimacy. You want to have adventures. You want to still be playful. A lot of people get into what's called like a routine sexual script, right? Where it's sort of like this choreography, I call it. Like, you know, you do this, I do this, da-da-da, you step here. You know, it gets stale like anything else in your life that right. you do as a routine. And, and, and by the way, I should say, like, to be really good parents, like, you have to offer these kids that you're raising, uh, routines, like that's good for them, right. right? It's not so great for your erotic life. And so you have to f fulfill and, and fill yourself up as well as your relationship with new experiences, with, you know, adventures. So you have some people, like Nancy was saying, who are partying and great, and then there are those that are not. Is If they've lost that magic, or we like to call it that secret sauce, and the kids leave the house, <laughs> right. is it possible for them to get it back? Is that... So I always say you're, it's a good, a good um, sort of prognosis is, did you have it at the beginning? Right. And most people did. Most people did. And so if you had it at the beginning... You go back there and go, what, what was it I liked about you? Like, what was it that we did that was so much fun? Um, can we start creating those experiences or potential for those experiences again? Um, sometimes over the years, people have swept under the rug unresolved conflicts that they never kind of repaired and moved on from. So that has to be gotten through. Mm -hmm. um, but otherwise, I think there's, yeah, it's definitely hopeful because... Something came together. It wasn't just, you know, um, pragmatics right. for most for most couples. You had that kind of special connection with one another. You have to find the self within that right. you were back then and bring up kind of those those you know situations, experiences, and then you have to find that for the relationship too. Yeah, I find that men. Do you find that men need sex more than women? You know, it's a. Uh, I think it's um, in all the studies, it shows that men have higher libidos. Much of that is uh, we think, although I think the re the new research is changing some of these beliefs. I have to tell you, uh, because of the testosterone. But there's some interesting research being done right now, given um, that's not necessarily hormonally hormonally based and. Older research studies that have shown, by the way, that when women, for those couples where they split up at this juncture, because many couples do, you may know them in your own lives, right. um, when, they, when women get new partner, if a woman was complaining of low desire before and they get a new partner, guess what happens? <laughs> so, Variety. <laughs> <laughs> so, so empty, so most empty nesters, 
are in their next stage of life, and um, many of the women are going through menopause, or we call it menostop. <laughs> and at the same time, men are getting introduced to Viagra. So how do you help resolve these inconsistencies in sexual desire between men and women? Okay. So it's a great question. I actually call menopause more like withdrawal. When, I, when women come in with l- low desire and go, like, I am not feeling horny. Like, that is gone. And what we call that in my business intrinsic desire, where you your body was actually sending you messages through tingles or just feeling horny, right? Yeah. And then you were like, oh, yeah, this feels really good. It's like a mind-body connection. When your body s- goes through withdrawal from estrogen – it, you stop getting those kinds of signals, okay? So that's what they call low desire. But it's such a, an amorphous kind of term, right? And so I think for a lot of women who come in and, and see us, we have to say, look, you have a much wider toolkit than you could even imagine. It's not just this intrinsic desire. There's responsive desire, and they're like, what's that? And right. like, and what is that? You respond to your husband. Well, you respond to whether you're gay or straight, right? right. You're, right. you know, you respond to your partner doing something lovely for you. You respond to your partner um, turning themselves on. You know, I mean, there are th- because of that, you know, two step dance routine that you've developed for the last twenty years. Like, there are things that you have not explored yet within yourself and with your partner, and so. I always say there are so many things that you have not even tried. And whether it's, you know, I'm not even talking just vibrators, which can be really helpful because it creates that blood flow in your genitals, which you haven't been getting much of because of the loss of estrogen. Um, so, so, and there's your mind. You know, your mind is your biggest erotic muscle. And if you're not using it and, in, like, really kind of inspiring it, it's going to go flat. It's sort of like, uh, you know, it's like lifting weights. If you don't lift weights, your muscles are not going to keep their tone and they're not going to build. And so your mind is like a muscle and you have to feed it and you have to, you know, grow it and you have to expand it. So I, I think there's, you know, it's a, it's not an easy black and white answer to your question. So my body's basically not sending me signals for desire. So if I'm open to it and sensitive to other signals so what other things could I be doing or my husband be doing that would be like sending those same tingles to me <laughs> okay so let's talk about the phenomenon of, of, of uh, 50 shades okay okay over 40 is it million or billion now I can't even remember read this book okay why why because we got the tingle that's right <laughs> right so you were being responsive through your mind yes no one was even touching you. You read it on the subway or you read it in the, you know, while you were working out. In the privacy of your own bedroom. That's right. And so what was it? What was it about that book? Let's talk about the themes of that book. Uh, red Room? Was, it, what was, that, was that what it was? <laughs> yeah. The Red Room? The Red Room. Eroticism. There are certain things that go into erotic um, literature. There are certain forms and models. One of them is Mysterious Stranger, who seems to have a lot of power who's ha- is kind of moody. So are you saying our husband should be role playing as mysterious moody strangers in the bedroom? Well, if that <laughs> lights your fire, yeah, why not? You know what? It doesn't sound bad. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's off- obviously there's this 
while it wasn't very well represented in the book, I have to say, but there's a whole BDSM, bondage, discipline, sadomasochism, dominance, submissiveness um, element in that book, it's talking about power play. And what I always say to people is, you know, a lot of people are kinky that wouldn't identify as kinky because they're interested in power play. And most women's fantasies revolve around kind of submissive power play in sexuality. Um, So that's like really powerful. I don't know. I think we should start being the dominant one. Well, there's that. There, there are those two. We call those people who actually like both switches. Okay. Yeah. Just switch us on and well, off. Exactly. <laughs> Can I just say a few more things about sure. menopause that I think women should really okay. hear? Okay. okay. So, in, in terms of the withdrawal that I was talking about, there are some issues around your genitals. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's a thinning of the wall, the vaginal wall. This, back to your question, Nancy, it, uh, you know, it it has a problem because sex can become pain, penetrative sex can become painful. So you need lubrication. You may need some estrogen um, pellets, as we call them, um, and you can talk to your gynecologist about it. And then there's also something called a moisturizer, which is a little different. And so the problem that happens <laughs> and we'll get to this, you know, is if men are starting to use Viagra, Cialis, any PDE5 inhibitor, you get a 20-year-old penis with a 50-year-old vagina without any help, and ow! I heard it's a four-hour, is that last four? (laughs) No, that's when you're you're in trouble. That's when you call the 911. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But um, so I just wanted to let people know out there, if you're having pain. Don't just avoid sex. Like, go to your doctor and get some help. Someone told me coconut oil works great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's great. And They're u- natural u- oils. There's Uber Lube, yeah, Why too. don't you come yeah. back to us? I've got <laughs> Felicia. I've got Uber Lube, coconut <laughs> oil. I, I could cook and have sex at there the same go. time. There you go. You can smell like a salad. Make a salad dressing. <laughs> a little pina colada party going on down there. So what other things besides Uber Lubing myself? Um, if we're talking about biological stuff, men start having issues too. It's not just a women's thing in this age, stage of development, right? Because men start having uh, issues around their own desire with erections, um, which really goes into their own sense of um, identity as a man. And virility. And also. virility. Yeah. And, you know, and maybe their careers. They might be having to slow down with work. I mean, all of that stuff. And I I always say to, to couples or to women of, you know, partners of men, I, I'll say a man, because women will come and go, why is my husband, like, not initiating anymore? Like, he used to be the guy. I said, well, has he been having trouble with erections? And she'll say, oh, yeah. And I'll say, that's why. I said, a guy will go to any length of, you know, avoidance not to have to deal with their own bodies abandoning them and then the look in their partner's eyes of going, of disappointment. What happens is they start to feel shame. And if you say to a guy, like, there's a reason why this is, you know, the, these pills are multi-billion dollar business. It's because it's normal for men 40, 50 and above to start losing some of their 
erectile, you know, ability. And when you, as soon as you say that, guys go, really? I'm like, uh-huh. Because guys don't talk to each other about this for sure. Yeah. And if they realize, like, oh, you mean it's, like, normal to do, to lose? Yeah, sure. Can we address the issues yes. of body image that, like, yeah. we are looking in the mirror and it's not the same as the body that we had had when we were younger? Yeah, I say it's hard for me to have sex while I'm sucking in my stomach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, look, I think what we have to do is become more compassionate with ourselves and that we are surrounded by these images and we are, live in a very, in America, very youth-obsessed country so that we're continually sort of in our own minds going, why don't I look like that? Why don't I look like that? Um, and, and, and berating ourselves, right? And I think that as soon as you start getting away from that as like um, in mindfulness, I use a lot of mindfulness with my clients and I'll say we have these things called WAFs, worries, anxieties, fears. And they're like train cars that keep coming through, keep coming through. And you just have to sort of like bat them aside and come back into your body because they're just causing you more suffering. And the body image stuff is, while it certainly gets louder um, during the empty nest years, I think we've been living through it <laughs> for years <laughs> beforehand. And it's just now... Um, gotten more, I guess, just I would say louder. So I think that anything you can do to get more embodied. So do things that you like to do, whether it's dancing, whether like move that body around in space and feel, you know, do something that's joyful to you. So you don't have to think about other people. You know, I, I always feel thankful that I was a modern dancer, even though I had to dance in studios with mirrors all the time, because a lot of times you didn't have to look at yourself in the mirror. It was more about how does this feel? And you're working with a partner. So it wasn't as sort of like, perf I don't know, it just wasn't as hard as I think ballet dancers have it. And so what I always say to people is do the thing that feels most, gets you into your body. Develop a mindfulness practice. Start saying some nice things to yourself. Like go into a mirror. I tell people, that you know, like every day go in the mirror no clothes on, and say something nice to yourself. I like my, you know, and for people who have really devastating, you know, body image issues, they're like, no, nothing I like about myself. I, I said, there's got to be something. Need that magic mirror. <laughs> I like my mirror, eyes. Mirror, mirror, mirror. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can say, I like my eyes. I have nice skin. And on that, you can build. It's a great suggestion. Yeah. So we're lubing, we're waffing, and <laughs> right. we're role-playing. Role playing. We're, we're complimenting okay. ourselves. It's a lot of work, yep. this sex stuff. It used to be so easy. Now it's like, uh, i got to have my coconut oil and go. <laughs> Another thing that I thought was interesting you said is, like, who am I? And you kind of touched on the fact that husbands are paring down, and yet women are finding themselves. And that also could cause a big problem in the relationship with sex it's a power shift a little bit right first I should say just as an aside like people who are sad about their kids gone I mean that that if that has been your mission and your drive and your focus your sole focus it's a huge loss when your kids leave home because then you're figuring like okay well what's my job now and since we know that most um, homemakers are women it affects them harder I think mm -hmm. um, and so it's kind of a second act for a lot of women what 
what do I want to contribute? Do I want to go back to work? If you're, if I was home full time, do I want to invest in kind of um, nonprofit charity work? Like, who, you know, I still have a lot of energy, by the way, and I have a lot more to give. And, and there's not really that set point for when you have to be home anymore if you were a stay-at-home mom. So your whole schedule is is so open and different than it used to be. Yeah, and, and you that's have hard. To, it's hard because you're used to this routine, and then you also have to ask these. I always say to people, like, you know, what are your priorities? In in the end of the day, like, what are your priorities? You have to sort of really have long conversations with yourself. Is it family, and is it uh, giving back to the planet, or is it giving to a certain uh, community? Is it... Um, making money, like establishing a business. I mean, what is it that gets you going? And where do you find meaning? And to answer your question, I think um, with women who were the primary homemakers who decide to kind of emerge and and establish new careers, uh, it can be a power struggle because, you know, you know, many women say, well, I have two kids that I gave birth to, and then, uh, you know, my partner who's the third kid or fourth kid and um the partner may expect their wife you know a significant other the one who was raising the kids to be at home you know to give him a or her a dinner that right. you know is where home are cooked. you you're supposed to be home that's right and now the kids aren't even there so the kids are gone and the wife is gone right so but, it can uh, but be- i could imagine that with the when a woman is struggling for her new identity in this chapter, that if they're not that happy, then their sex life is compromised. Like that, you have to have like that internal joy to experience, to experience a great sex life, I think also. Yeah, I think you're talking more about self-confidence and self-esteem. Yeah. Like I feel really good about myself. I love what I've done. I feel good about my, I feel proud of what I've done. Um, yeah, because you have to be like, you kind of, not kind of. You have to feel like a badass if you want to have good sex. You have to feel entitled to be, feel pleasure. And I think what you're, you know, touching upon are women who may not feel that good about themselves. You know, well, there's stuff- a difference between sex and having pleasure. That's the key. You yeah. just put it there because, like, I think a lot of women are just like, okay, I gotta have sex with my husband because he wants it, and very few take the time or have the self-esteem to have the pleasure. Right. And there's a secret though. Because I see a lot of men, a lot of men. And what turn a lot of men on is to see their female partners, wives, so turned on. It makes them feel like king. They fe- well, But if they've brought it on, for right. sure. <laughs> and to feel demanding. Like, you know, come over here. I want to F you. You know, right. like, I don't know how x-rated this podcast is, but, um, we just was, lost our pg rating <laughs> yeah that was good that's perfect right because there's there's that like this kind of lioness quality right. about like come here i want to ravage you or i want you to rav-, like this demanding kind of it gives permission to your partner to be just as demanding and i think if you feel like you know i'm not good enough i haven't done enough i you know Right. So what's a normal, you know, I always remember when I speak to young people and they say how often they're having sex and I'm like, ooh, I remember those days. And it definitely decreases as you get older. What's like, when should someone be concerned or or suspicious? Or like I always say, if you're not having sex with your husband, someone is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
well, it's not always the case. <laughs> it's not always the case, right? Remember I told you about like avoidance if they're having issues. Right. Um, I think, you know, I always say sex is like the uh, like art, like beauty. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And so I, I hate saying like, you know, you should be having sex. Da, da, da. You should be having sex regularly so that your body stays um, thirsty for it. Muscle memory. Muscle memory, but pleasure memory. Of course. You know? So it's not like you're just going through the motions. And um, I think you should be concerned when one of you is not ha happy or both of you aren't happy about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have people who come in and go, I just want to be a normal person. I want to have sex regularly. Well, what, what does that mean? You want to be a normal person? Like, are you both happy with the number of times you're having sex a week or a month or a year? So and there it, is no normal, is what you're saying. There are averages. Okay. So there are averages, once a week average. Okay? But if that's not your cup of tea, then why feel why make yourself feel badly about it? Right. Right? So I, I'm always wary of that question. Right. Um, but I do think, you know, you can schedule it. I know people ha hate that when I say that. You know, a lot of people are like, ugh, how boring. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. When you were young and hot to trot and doing all that stuff, did you date? Well, yeah. Did you know when the date was? Well, yeah. Right. Did you know, like, so what did you do? I'm going to ask you, Felicia. What did you do before a date? I got ready. What, what did you do? I what went in? I put on my, my, my dress. I put my makeup on, my hair, and got all ready, and... So when you were doing I all was primping myself. So tell me, what was it? What were you feeling in your body when you were primping yourself? That tingling sensation <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> right. So creating um, a space where you know that something will happen, but you don't know. So you have to put in variables, and I have to go back to my dance career for this or my choreography career because, in order to choreograph, you have to rent space. So you have to you know, reserve it, you have to put the money down, and then you have to create. So it's like, you know, create on demand. And what any creative artist will tell you is that you don't know what's going to happen that day. And that's kind of the excitement. It's kind of pressure a little bit. But if you give yourself permission, just go, whatever happens, happens. Um, I'm going to give myself some challenges, like little artistic challenges. Like today I'm going to do um, a whole creative choreography on my knees. I'm never going to allow myself to get up. What can I get? Right? So you've created a little challenge for yourself. The same is true for your sex life. Okay, so today we're going to do the whole thing blindfolded. Or today we're going to just figure out what we have in our living room and see what happens. Right? Those are like little variables you can play. They're, right. It's games, you know? And within that time frame, who knows what's going to happen? That's kind of the exciting part about it. So, so you're saying making it more fun adds to the sexual experience for basically any couple. Exactly. But we're talking about empty nesters. So That's right. I and now talk, you can have want, sex in the living room, exactly, by the way. Exactly, which is great. We, um, <laughs> so I want to talk about something that you mentioned earlier, which is the use of sex toys. Yeah. So tell, tell us about sex toys and, and how they enhance the experience for couples who are trying to refine each other at this stage. 
Well, there are so many now. There's some amazing sex toys now. The, you know, it's really um, exploded. There are a lot of uh, sex toy companies now uh, owned and developed by women for women, which was not always the case. And they're they're hands free. They're remote controlled. They're you know, so you could be out at dinner and uh, you're partner is like using a remote and under the table you're getting that tingling feeling <laughs> they Felicia. had it in 60 sh- with the 50 shades of gray they had those balls the that Benoit balls <laughs> we could press a button on our iPhone soon and we're going to be able to not ca- soon no oh now <laughs> those are all available now get with it okay. Nancy. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning. <laughs> um, and some of the sex toys are for men too you know so uh, there are areas that a lot of men won't explore because of their own hang-ups, I, I must say, um, around their prostate. Um, so straight men um, may not know, some men do practice this, but a lot of men won't, of that there's a reason why that, you know, anal penetration is, like, really hot. Well, because when you massage the, the prostate, it creates for much better um, climaxes. So there are you know, butt plugs, there's, uh, there are vibrators for men. I mean, there's so many things out there now that... Uh, I always wanted to know what that butt plug was for. Now I know. (laughs) (laughs) There are like little baby butt plugs to get started because you don't want to just put something big in that orifice. It's not like your (laughs) vagina doesn't stretch. You have to like get yourself in shape, you know. (laughs) Otherwise a visit to the ER. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's funny because I, well, I won't go there. <laughs> Never mind. We want to keep this PG rating exactly. for this one. <laughs> so, th- you know, toys are just one element. I think um, watching porn together with your partner, um, reading erotic to- You know, I always say to people, everyone has their thing. And you have to talk to each other about what your top three erotic triggers. I have a show, um, a channel on YouTube called Sex Esteem, and in it I... One of the ones I shot was at the Museum of Sex, and it, it, the topic really was about erotic triggers. And you have to talk to your partner about what your top three erotic triggers are so that you can do what your partner likes, not necessarily only what you like. So here we are in this environment where people are talking openly about a lot of sexual issues and sex toys, and you were mentioning porn is widespread. And I feel like we're definitely talking to our kids more openly than our parents because they didn't talk to us at all about it. So how, how, as our kids are venturing out on their own, which is probably too late already when they're going to college, how do you ex- expect or suggest that we talk to our kids about this without them being like, oh my God, don't talk to me about that. You know, you, know, you have to tell kids about um, that porn is entertainment because a lot of kids, because it's so accessible, are using it as their sex education. And I think for girls in particular, the I think when boys are seeing pornography, the body image is so distorted for what an, a typical average girl will look like in their life. So it's got some some ramifications that will lead to their like will affect their expectations of future girlfriends. Exactly. Right, right. They're enhanced. They have fake boobs. They may have had you know. Uh, plastic surgery on their genitals, but also, by the way, you know, I see a lot of young men in the practice, and they're comparing their penis size with those of the actors in porn. And we know that 
they're just, a, you know, first of all, they're enhanced with drugs as far as, you know, how long they last. But they're also chosen actors because of the size of their genitals. Right. Right. It's the same. It's it's equivalent to, you know, women comparing themselves to models who are like uh, representative of 10 percent of the female uh, humans in the world, which are those tall women with uh, narrow hips, flat stomachs who have what I call like the teenage boy body Mm -hmm. and they have it forever. It's just their body makeup. They're genetically gifted. Correct. Well, we'll just say they're uh, 10 percent of the human race. Right. I mean, I think if you say gifted, you're saying that the rest of us aren't. And I, I don't like saying that okay, to that's, anybody. That's that's a fair way of expressing it. Right. So I think that you say you have to respect people. You have to respect yourself. And I think a bigger problem, too, is that people are um, unsure of how to have flirty conversations around consent. Because consent isn't do you want to have intercourse only. Consent is all along the way. How does this feel? Do you like this? Do you want me to stop? Should we go this? And and people think it's so unsexy, especially teenagers. That's why they go, Ugh. Right. But no, like you can just say, no, you can talk about it in a flirty way. You can talk about, have you been tested? When was the last time you were tested? You know, have you had partners since then? Um, do they know how you get herpes? Do they know that herpes 1, which are the cold sores that people can see on your lips, actually can be transferred to genitals? Do they know that? I don't know. I, I mean, I think there, the levels and um, the depth of sex ed in schools varies, varies widely. So I think we are responsible for telling them what real sex looks like, that it's messy, that uh, it can be slow, that what we call in my business outer course is sometimes more intimate and maybe even more pleasurable than intercourse. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but uh, back in the day, I used to think that oral sex was actually a much more intimate experience than intercourse. So somewhere along the line, I have a feeling where, in the timeline of our history as a country, uh, it got reversed. Right. Uh, it starts with the, it was the BC era. Yes, it was. <laughs> That's right. So there was a certain person. Uh, are we going to talk about that? Yeah, we, you know, I think it's. Uh, I think it's definitely. Uh, you know, that whole "this is not sex." I did not have sexual relations with her. <laughs> that was the line in the sand. Yeah, and that definitely. And you know, that's why people say that you should start talking to your kids so young, because from that young age, they're hearing those things, and you need to be open with them. It's hard. It's like weird how uh, you know when you think about how younger and younger and younger kids are being exposed to it from the media, the porn, and everything, that they really do need to start talking at such a young age. And, and fashion. I, yeah. did, I, did, I, I had a whole presentation that I did for parents on um, body image for boys and girls. And one of the things that was really unbelievable to me is the fashion that is actually derived from porn styles, porn costumes, that are being marketed for young girls. You see all these young kids, like prepubescent girls, walking around looking like a 20-year-old. Like there's something disconcerting about that. A lot of our kids are experiencing dating, and they're using dating apps. And I'm just curious, like, what do you think we should be warning older kids 
who we probably can't achieve the same dialogue as we would have when they were younger. How do do we keep them safe? Well, I think safe, and I also like to use the word of ethical, because I think what a lot of uh, younger folk are feeling are incredibly lonely, incredibly disposable, because of they can be swiped off in a minute. They can be rejected in a second. And because other people are, they're not eye to eye with them, they don't think they're hurting someone's feelings. And yet every single one of them, whether they're straight, gay, whatever, uh, bi, queer, has been rejected. And I think, so that, I guess I want to start there because I see a lot of that. Yeah. And, it, yeah. and, and I think that uh, it's so anxiety provoking that that's, I think partly my, my take is why they drink a lot when they have sex. Um, but as far as safety is concerned, I think you meet in a public place you have some conversations with a person. You ask them about themselves. Um, and most young people will say, oh, well, this is so boring. And, you know, that's not the way it is. And, of course, you go out drinking. And I'll say, you know, I find so many people in my practice come in when they're, like, 28, when they're in a relationship. And I'll ask them this question, have you ever had sober sex? And there'll be, like, a pause. And then they'll go, ah, you know? I don't know if I've ever had sober sex. I don't think I've ever had sober sex. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever ask that question to the 50-year-old? <laughs> I have. I have. <laughs> so as far as being safe, be, you know, be aware of your surroundings. Like, be able to make choices. Be able to say, I, this is what I'd like to do, you know, before you even get to a bedroom. Here's what I, here's kind of what really would turn me on. But but young adults are moving to the bedroom faster. Yes. So hence, you know, talk about it before. You know, it can be really flirty to talk about sex. You know, years ago, one of the um, movies that really sort of changed the face of movie making was Sex Lies and Videotape. I'm dating myself. <laughs> but what was but what was what was interesting about that film was it wasn't actually all that much sex. It was talking about intimate details about sexuality that really got people titillated. And so you can tell your kids, like, talk about it. It's really fun, and it's, it's, it's enhancing, and you're taking care of yourself. And by the way, you're taking care of the other person, but take care of yourself. Is it appropriate for us to be talking about our kids when they're empty nesters about sex and, and all this stuff? Or should we, they're like, we did our job. They should be on their own. No, I think you can be dropping things. They may go, ah, like right. enough, right. but they're listening. Just don't talk about your sex life. Right. <laughs> they don't well, want to hear about that. They don't. No. Yeah. No, that's not sexy. Do you see that as a sex therapist, how people have evolved over their over the course of their relationships to be able to say, hey, you know, put it over there or do this or do that? Is that something that you think has enhanced sexual experiences for people? Well, I first have to always say, a caveat is that I always see a skewed population, right? Because I'm in my practice in our Center for Love and Sex, I see people who are having troubles. Yes. So I agree, like, if you're comfortable and you feel open to talk about stuff, for sure. But I think that some people have sort of censored themselves. And also, they may have discovered things along the way, maybe through watching porn, maybe through reading books of like, oh, my God, this is totally turns me on and 
I don't think my partner has any idea of that this is what I'm, I'm fantasizing about or this is what I would love to try to enact. How am I going to tell them without hurting their feelings? That's a big one. Right. And you can just say, you know what? I've grown. I've, I've, I found some things I really like. And it's like food. Like, oh, my God, I've never had Korean food before. This is unbelievable. I want to have Korean food like once a week, every night. Okay, Korean food. (laughs) Oil, Korean food. So we're getting to the the portion of our podcast where we ask you for your MT or modern tips or things that um, we've listed here. Your favorite travel destination. One of the places on my wish list is Thailand. I've just seen amazing photos of it and the culture and the people and, I don't know, maybe that Eat, Pray, Love book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I've, I really am, I would love to go to Thailand. It's one of my places. Okay. That's definitely on my list as well. How about your favorite beauty product? My favorite beauty product? Um, I'm really into the um, – Vitamin C serum for my face, that skin, it just makes me feel so, like, replenished. So, And what about a mantra? What about you? We could do, let's do a personal mantra for your life, and what would it be a good sexual mantra for people to have? It's both, actually. I think you can use it for both. I love this mantra. Focus on what you can do, not on what you can't do. I like that one. Okay, and finally... What is your favorite sex advice? Oh, my God. Or sex toy. I love those double whammy uh, sex toys that are like a cuff that go inside and over the over the vulva. I love those. Those are great. Okay. Um, Ladies, put that on your list. Yeah. <laughs> Korean grocer, <laughs> sex toy. I have a huge list here going on. Okay, well, thank you so much, Sari. If you guys uh, liked what you heard, please check out her Sex Esteem YouTube channel, a series of groups where folks get together and talk about sexuality, love, desire, and erotic curiosity. You can sign up for her newsletter on centerforloveandsex.com or follow her, Sari Cooper CLS, on any of her social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter... If you want to contact Sari Cooper, you can email her at sari at centerforloveandsex.com. Make sure if you like this show, please uh, leave us a rating or a review at the bottom. When you get to iTunes, there's a rating and a review. It's very important. It's uh, the only way that we're going to get this out and running. So please uh, make sure you do that. Any questions, email us at emptynesterpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for being with us, Sari. I'm Felicia. And I'm Nancy. And we are Empty Empty Nesters. Nesters.